This is Lead Minister Nathan Pelahowski of RSCC. I just want to welcome you to the RSCC podcast. Here's something I want you to know. I want you to know that you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says that you matter when he sent his son Jesus to die for us. Today I hope this message challenges you and encourages you to take your next faith step. Good morning. All right, welcome to church. It is awesome to be with you guys. Hey, Peyton, can you turn this down just a little bit for me, man? Thank you. Hey, it is awesome to be with you guys. Uh, I didn't know if I was going to be here this week. I don't know if I'm going to be here next week. I'm hoping next by next week I have a baby at the house, so uh, maybe I'll be here next week. I definitely won't be here in two weeks, hopefully, praying for Whitney, so keep praying for that. But hey, guys, I, I'm excited uh, to be here with you today. My name is Nathan, and I'm the lead minister here at the church, and we're going to start a new series. But before we do, I, I want to start off with a question. And uh, it's a weird question, but have you ever looked at the way someone else was living and thought, I want to be like them? You ever, have you ever looked at someone like, man, I, I like the way they dress, I like the way they act, uh, the, they, the way they live, and I want to be like them when I grow up? Uh, for some of us, it could have been an athlete, a parent, a grandparent, a, a sibling, uh, someone that we saw that we, when we were younger, we're like, hey, I want to be like them. And through the years, there's been a lot of people that I, I've kind of looked up to, and that's what this question is. is. Is there anybody you ever looked up to, and you saw the way they were living, you're like, I, I want to be like them. And, and there's been a lot of people in my life, but the one person that, that sticks out, and I want to show you a quick picture of, of who that is. Um, this is me and my, uh, the world calls him my stepdad, um, but this is me and my, uh, my, da- my dad, I call him now, Jay. So he came into my life. Um, when I was in junior high, but he is my stepdad. And when he came into my life, um, many of you know, I, I didn't have, my dad died when I was really young. So he came into my life when I was a, a teenager. And when he first started coming into your life, um, you gotta think of this, as a teenage boy, I didn't want anybody dating my mom, all right? So I did not want Jay, I didn't, I, I didn't want anything to do with Jay. But Jay slowly started to you know, come into our lives and he was dating my mom and I did everything I could on the first date to make sure it didn't happen. Like I got a bunch of cousins, so I'm the oldest. I rallied us all together to the house and we acted like a fool to scare him off. Um, and it didn't work. He kept coming back and he kept coming back and coming back and coming back. And I, I started to realize some things about Jay that he was different than other guys. So my mom had three kids at the time. She had my, myself and my, my younger sister and my younger brother. And Jay uh, had no kids. Um, Jay's actually nine years younger than my mom. So I'm like, okay, this, this kid thing is going to scare him off, right? It didn't. It didn't. He just kept coming back. And the more that I spent time with Jay and the more Jay was around, the more I found myself wanting to be like him. He was really into like motocross and, and so like he got a dirt bike and then I wanted to get into motocross and, and be like him. He was really into like muscle cars and going to car shows. So I was like, I want to go to car shows and, and be into muscle cars. He would go to his friend's house, every, jo- his friend Josh's house every single Sunday and watch the Chicago Bears. I don't even like the Chicago Bears, but every Sunday I wanted to go to his friend's house with Jay and watch football. I found myself wanting to be more and more and more like him. And what was unique about Jay, and what's still unique about Jay to this day, is that at that time in my life, and when he came to my siblings' life, my siblings had a different dad than I do, but their dad wasn't around either. And, and Jay knew something. Jay knew someone was watching, and, and he lived in such a way to set an example. And through the years, Jay has taught me so much about being a man. He's taught me how to, you know, to, to be a hardworking person, a, a husband. He showed me what it's like to be a father. Uh, my, my mom and Jay eventually had a, 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 my other sibling, Jace, who I'm 16 years older than. And, and Jace has Down syndrome. And, and so Jay's taught me how to love unconditionally. And, and th- I've learned so much from Jay. And, and Jay lived like he knew someone was watching. 
And he was right. My younger siblings and I were all watching. We all desperately needed a dad. And when he figured out that someone was watching, it changed the way he lived. So the question is, like, why am I even telling you this? Well, here's why I'm telling you this. And it's awesome because we're starting a new series, and it's called Paparazzi. And it's kind of, it's on the book of James, right? Anybody like the book of James? It's my favorite book. It's the book of James, so we'll be in the book of James for about nine weeks, but it's all in the book of James. So it's Paparazzi, the book of James, but there's kind of a, a subtitle, Living Out Your Faith in a World Where Everyone is Watching. And here's the motivation behind this series, is if you look back at the early centuries of the church, if you look back at the book of Acts, and you read through the New Testament, and you read the history books, you're going to find out the Christians... The early Christians lived in this world that was nothing like them. They didn't believe like them. They had a ragtag savior who had a couple disciples that no one would have picked. Yet Christianity spreads. And it spreads and it becomes so contagious. And they live out their faith in such a way where people are drawn into them. And when they're drawn into them, they point them to Jesus. And what they essentially did was they outloved everybody around them. And they used that love and not loving everybody to draw people in and then pointed them to Jesus. That still works today. People are still drawn to that type of love. People are still drawn to Christians and churches full of people who live out their faith. It's not our fancy buildings. It's not our services that draw people in. It's how we live out our faith while the world is watching. So then we got to ask ourselves, and you got to be honest. I don't want your cookie cutter Christian church answer. We got to ask ourselves this How are we living? And I don't want your opinion. I want to I I talk to people who aren't Christians. I want to go online. I want to search. So that's what I did, and I talked to people. I, I have many people who I see on a weekly, daily basis who aren't Christian that I talk to. And I said, Well, can you tell me, tell me what you see with Christians? And then I also went online, and here's what I heard I heard things like, Why are Christians so angry? Why are Christians so hypocritical? We're always going to hear that. Why are they so judgmental? Right? Why are they so hateful? Right? And we can say all day, well, that's not what we are and that's not how we live. But the thing is that people are telling us we're this way. So what has happened is if, you, if we're honest, there's become this disconnect from what we are saying, what we say we believe, and how we're actually living. Not all of us are, but here's the deal. If one of us are bad, that re- represents the whole, right? So as a whole, people are saying, listen, there's a disconnect from what you say you believe or what Jesus says he believes and what you say you believe and how you're actually living. And if there's anything that's been kind of evident this last season of life, it's, it's been this, and you, you guys know this, that we live in a hurting, broken world. And people are desperate for truth. People are desperate for hope. People are desperate for love. And guess what? That's the message we get to bring every single day. And the world is watching and the world is hurting and they're desperate. And they need someone to live out what they believe through Christ. Right? And when we don't get it right, people are turned off. And here's what's all, uh, so hard is they're not just turned off to RSCC. They're not turned off to your church you grew up. And they're not just turned off to church. Ultimately, when we don't get it right, guess what people are turned off to? Jesus. And it's a big deal, right? So we got to ask ourselves, like, hey, 
we got to realize that people are watching. What we post matters. What we say matters. How we treat people who are different than us matters. So we got to ask ourselves, if the world is watching, and what type of example are we setting with our faith? What type of example are you setting with your faith? At your house, at your home, you know, at your home, at your house, at your workplace, in your marriage, uh, on your sports team, when you walk through the hallways, at your youth group. What type of example are, are you setting? Or are you setting an example where people say, you know what, they believe something and, and they live it out? Hey, are you setting an example of what it lo- looks like to love your neighbor? See, we should be setting the example on this, that we can disagree wholeheartedly politically, but we can still love you. We should be setting an example on, you know what? There's people who look nothing like us. They don't believe what we believe, but we still love them. We should set the example on how, what we post, what we say, how we act. And we set the example because of what Jesus has already told us to do and what Jesus has done. So what type of example are we setting? Because in 2021, the, the reality is no longer is it good enough to just say we believe in something. No longer is it good enough to just say we believe in Jesus. We have to live out what we believe. We've got to live out our faith. So that's what this series is all about. That's the introduction to James. That's the introduction to the series. So let me give you a little upfront information on the book of James. I'll allow you to go ahead and turn there in your Bible. Um, if you don't have an actual physical Bible with you, you can download the RSCC Family app. And in the app, if you go to the, the notes section, the notes section, there's two sections. There is the outline to the sermon, and there's another option for you to put and type your own actual notes. So you can follow along that way. But we will be in the book of James. And James is widely believed to be written by the half-brother of Jesus, uh, James. And what's interesting about James was while Jesus walked the earth, he didn't actually believe in his brother, that his brother was the Messiah. So you got to think, well, how could that be? Well, what would it take for you to believe that your brother was the Messiah, right? Would he have to, like, be killed publicly on a cross and three days later raised from the grave? Something like that? That might prove it? Well, that's what happens with James, right? So James ultimately becomes a follower of Jesus after Jesus has already resurrected. And you can kind of read through uh, James's story in the book of Acts, and, and Paul talks about him in some of his letters. But James becomes this, this early pillar of the church. He becomes a leader, and he's known for wisdom and his guidance, and he's ultimately killed for his faith of preaching the gospel. Before he died, he wrote this letter. And this letter is what we call the book of James in the New Testament today. And what's interesting about the book of James is it's very practical. It echoes much of what his brother Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. At the same time, it reads like a New Testament proverb. So it kind of has like these topics it talks about and then switches topics real fast. And it echoes a lot of the Sermon on the Mount. And here's what's awesome about James. His goal, and the goal of this series, isn't to teach new theological information. Right? He's not going to say anything in this book that's going to be like, Oh my goodness, I've never heard that before but to challenge how you are living out your faith. More than any other book in the New Testament, James is going to get up in your grill and say, listen, if you believe in what my brother did and you believe my brother is who he says he is, you're going to live a certain way. You're going to be obedient. There's going to be fruit. There's going to be proof in your life. Oh yeah, by the way, don't forget Christians. In a world that is nothing like you, people are watching. And when, when you get it wrong, they are turned off. But when you get it right, you get to point them to Jesus. So that's the book of James. And we're, and we're not going to cover every single verse. We're not going to cover every single section. But it's a small book, and we're going to be in it for about nine weeks. So we're going to cover a lot of it. So let's get to it. We're, we're going to start in verse tw- uh, two today. Um, we're going to go over this section real quick, because this is not the, 
the meat of the, what we're talking about today, but I wanted to hit on it real quickly. It says this. So again, he's writing the, the Christians who are, are persecuted, who are spread out. In, in verse 1, it says the 12 tribes. So here's what he says. Consider, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because, here's why, you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. So he's saying, listen, I know you're spread out. I know you're going to face persecution. Persecution is coming. Trials are coming. And I know it's tough, but I want you to remember something. I want you to consider it pure joy. I want you to say, hey, I, I know that this isn't what I want, but God can do something in this trial. What can God do? He says, well, it, it produces perseverance in your faith. It'll make you mature so you lack nothing. And, and he continues and basically said, listen, these trials that you're facing— they're going to make you more and more like Jesus. That when the world looks at you through these trials, God is going to produce something through your faith. And they're going to look at you and they're going to, become, they're going to see that you become more and more and more like Jesus. So this is kind of how he starts off. So for about 12 verses, he talks about trials. And then he, he, he switches directions in verse 13. And it's the same word in the Greek. One word is a noun and one word is a verb, I believe. And, and it, it goes to a different word. Not trials, but temptation. And he, he goes like this. This is kind of what we're talking about about today. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after the desire has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. And it, it continues to go on. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the world, word of truth, that we might be a kind of his first fruits of all he created. So James says, listen, you're going to have trials you're going to have temptation. Now here's what happens when I talk to a group of Christians or a church when I talk about temptation. Here's the great temptation of temptation. We're like, no, nah, I'm pretty good, right? We don't need to talk about this. We can skip this whole chapter. We don't got to talk about trials. We don't got to talk about temptation. I'm in church. I, I do good things, right? We don't need to talk about this. We're tempted to say temptation doesn't really matter. We're good, right? So we're tempted to say that. And if that's you, and you might, you might be there, right? I'm not saying you are, but some of us, someone in this room, one of the two services will be there. Here's what I want to encourage you. Here's what Paul says. The Apostle Paul, who is farther along and, you know, has a stronger faith maybe than anybody in this room. Here's what he says. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. And James, so Paul talks about temptation. James talks about temptation. And he says what? Be careful. Paul says be careful. James says when tempted. He says, listen, it doesn't matter who you are, what you're going through, how old you are, no matter how long you've been a Christian, temptation is going to come. It's not like you're going to, you know, all of a sudden start following Jesus and you're not going to have trials or you're not going to have temptations, that everything's going to be golden and your life is going to be perfect and it's going to be Skittles and rainbows and you're never going to have trials, you're never going to have temptations. He's like, no, no, listen, you're going to have temptations. James says this, first line, when tempted, what's the indication that you're going to face temptation? That temptation is coming. It's not if it comes. He goes, it's coming. And when tempted, be aware. Temptation is coming. And when tempted, and we'll get to what he says next. We're only two words in here. When tempted, it's coming. Be ready. It's not if, it's a matter of when. 
Temptation is coming. Be careful not to fall. So here, here's what I want to do. I want to give you the working definition of what we're going to work with the temptation today. And it's a definition I heard some years ago that I really like. Is this, that temptation is anything that promises satisfaction at the cost of obedience to God. I'll say that again. Temptation, for some of us we need to write this down, is the, is the promise of satisfaction at the cost of obedience to God. Where most people get stuck in temptation is right here. Promise of satisfaction. The promise of if you give into this, life's going to be better. If you give into this, you're going to feel real good. If you give into this, yeah, you're going to be happy. Oh, it's going to make you so happy. Oh, hey, well, who really cares what God says? Because you're going to be happy. Right? Well, it, it's, it, I only live once, dude. Like, come on. I, I want the satisfaction. I, I want that promise. It's anything that promises satisfaction at the cost of obedience to God. It's going to tempt you to do something that's going to go against what God has called us to do or how God has called us to live. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to promise you it's going to feel real good. It's going to be real good. You're going to really enjoy it. And the promise is that for a second or two minutes or a month or some short time, it's going to satisfy you. But it's not worth, worth the cost of, of disobedience to God. It's kind of like this story I heard. There's this young boy named Bobby. And Bobby would walk to school every day. And every day on, on the way to school, he, wa he walked by this porter potty, right? Listen, and, and it, it was kind of a weird situation. They were doing some construction, but the porter potty was pretty close to the edge uh, of a cliff, right? And he's a teenage boy, and like when you walk, walk by that porter potty, every day he's tempted to just kick that thing off the cliff, right? And who wouldn't be, right? So every day, and he doesn't do it. He's a pretty good kid. So one day he's walking to school, he gets to school, and he has a bad day, right? He gets in trouble, he failed the test, he had to learn some boring stuff. But one thing he learned that day at school was about George Washington, okay? And what did George Washington do? Well, George Washington cut down a cherry tree, and the teacher explained to him that he wasn't supposed to do it, but George Washington, when asked about it, was honest, and he didn't get in trouble. We've probably all heard that story, right? So... Overall, Bobby had a bad day, so he's walking back home one day, and he's just, you know, he finally, he just gives him that temptation, and he kicks that porter potty off that cliff as hard as he possibly could, and he feels great, and he, go, he goes to his friend's house, everything's going good, and he plays some Xbox and Fortnite, and then he goes home, and he realizes when he gets home, the, the, the moods, you know, if you're a troublemaker, uh, this is my life, the mood's a little like, okay, I'm about to get in trouble for something, and his dad's a little upset. And his dad walks up to Bobby and says, Bobby, hey, listen, do you know what happened to that porter potty? And Bobby's like, man, he, in that moment, he's tempted to lie, but he remembers. The one thing he remembered about school that day, he remembers George Washington. And how George Washington's dad didn't get mad at him when he cut down a cherry tree. He, he goes, okay, dad. Yes, yes, I kicked it off the cliff. And Bobby was expecting his dad to be like, you know what, thank you. Thank you for being so honest, Bobby. But Bobby's dad doesn't do that. Bobby's dad, the story goes, he, he spanks him, but it's politically correct. So he, he yells at him and he grounds him. And Bobby's like, well, dad, listen, why am I in trouble? George Washington's dad didn't ground him when he cut down the cherry tree. And he goes, Bobby, listen, George Washington's dad wasn't in the cherry tree, Right? I love that story. And I, and I was like, that's the promise of, of temptation. His promise was, listen, I'm going to kick that down. I'm going to feel so great. And I'm not going to see the consequences coming. That's what temptation is. 
And James says, listen, you're going to be tempted. You're going to be offered a promise of satisfaction. You're going to be offered a promise of something that's going to make you feel good. But it's not worth the cost. Right? And so we've got to ask ourselves, if we're all going to be tempted, then I want to ask kind of a question that we need to talk about is, what is tempting you most right now? And what's interesting about temptation is what tempts you may not tempt me. What tempts me may not tempt you. But you all have something, and I have something that's tempting me right now. For some people, quite frankly, it's a substance. It's alcohol, it's popping pills, it's shooting something. It's a substance, right? For some people, it's a sexual temptation to look at something. Pornography has grown, and the numbers of pornography has grown in the last 18 months like never before, right? So it's the temptation to look at something. Or have, uh, you know, give in to some sexual sin outside uh, of marriage, what you know you're not supposed to do. For some people, the temptation, it's a person. And it's not that the person is bad in general, but it's the person who's outside of your marriage that you know you shouldn't be talking to, but, but you're connecting through, you know, Facebook Messenger or TikTok or Instagram or Snapchat. And you're like, I, I know I shouldn't give in to this, but it's tempting, for some people, it's a person, you're like, he's so good looking, she's so good looking, they're smart, they're rich, but you know, you know they're not a good person, you know they're not good for you, but you're like, there's just something about them. For some people right now, the temptation is to overspend. You just keep, you're like, I don't know, I just keep buying and buying and buying, I'm going in debt, but it makes me feel good for a moment. For some people, it's lying, you're like, I don't even know why I lie, I lie to cover up a lie to cover up a lie. For some people, your temptation is to be critical, right? Your spiritual gift is being critical, right? So you're like, I don't know why, I just do that. But we're all, we all have something that's tempting us most. Everyone, every single one of us has something that is tempting us and promising satisfaction. So if that's what James is saying with two words, when tempted, that's what the, all that means, when tempted, we have to understand if that's, what's at, if that's what's at stake, if that's what James is talking about, then we have to understand what James is truly trying to get at. And here's a, here's a great principle if you're new to reading Scripture. When you read Scripture, you, you shouldn't just read it. You should digest it and dissect it. Meaning you should try to truly understand what you're reading, right? And for some of you, that may, for some people, like, it's like one verse and you go look and research it and it takes you the, your entire Bible time. That's okay. But you need to dissect it and digest because here's what happens. If you don't understand what you're reading, it will never change the way you live. All right, so, and we want, we want to allow the Word of God to come into our lives, and we want to dissect it. And, and when I say dissect, I, I mean look and study what he's trying to actually get at, the context, and so it can change the way we live. Right? So what is James really saying? So he says, when tempted, but then he starts to talk about temptation. And the first thing we've got to ask ourselves if we're, we're trying to di- digest what he's saying is, well, where does temptation come from? All right, so, so where does it come from? Because this is what he says in verse 13 and 14. He says, when tempted, so we've already been over that, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. So he says, listen, when you're tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. James knew, James knew this, that we're so good, humans are so good, at blaming other people for things. 
And we're really good at justifying. And, and he's like, I know when you're tempted, you're going to have the temptation to blame God. Well, where does that temptation come from? Well, if you go all the way back to Genesis, remember God created Adam and Eve, and he says, hey, you can, you know, here's all this land, all this world, just do not eat from this tree. Well, they decide to eat from this tree, and then God finds out, and God goes to Adam and, and, and goes, what, what are you doing, right? And here's what happens in Genesis 3. As God is talking to Adam, notice what Adam says. Why did you do this? God's basically asking. What is going on? He goes, the woman you put here with me, the woman, right? So there's blame. And you put her with me, by the way, God. It's her fault and you gave her to me. I didn't ask for her. You gave her to me and, and you put her with me. Well, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. He's like, listen, God, if, if anybody's at fault over here, it's her. And then if we're going down the, the, you know, if we're going down the trail, you gave her to me. I, I didn't want her, right? So Adam, it, it, right away we see, it, right when sin enters the world, the blame game comes. And James is like, listen, when tempted, because you're going to be tempted, don't blame God. He's like, I know you guys are going to be so good at it. You're going to be like, oh, God just made me this way. God just made me this way. God, oh, God, God's tempting me with this. Oh, it's just this one thing. It's no big deal, right? He's like, you're going to be tempted Say that. And James says, don't you dare. Don't you dare blame it on God. Well, okay, if it's not God, well, who else is it? Is it Satan? Well, Satan can surely use things in our lives. Um, he can throw stuff out in our lives. He can use tools. But often we give Satan way too much credit. James is like, listen, man, it, it's not Satan. Because here's the deal. Satan, already, Satan can only tempt you with what's already inside of you. All right, listen to what he says. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. James like, don't blame God. Later on, he says, good gifts come from God. God doesn't know evil. It's not God's fault. Don't blame Satan because Satan can only use desires that you already have. Satan tempts you with what's already inside of you. That's why I love James. He gets in your grill. James is my favorite book. He gets in your grill. He gets up front. He goes, you want to know where all these desires come from? You want to know where all this stuff that you don't want in your life comes from? He's like, take off the mask, man. It's you. And we don't like that. And James is like, I don't really care if you like that. And we want to push back on this because we're told in 2021, my whole life I've grown up saying, well, you're not a bad person. Oh, you, no, you, no, they do bad things. You're just not a bad person. And I don't, and I'm going to tell you this because I love you. I'm going to tell you this because this is what the scripture says. That's not what the Bible says. It does not say, oh, you're such a good person. The Bible says this. You're a sinful person. And your desires tempt you. Right here is why we need Jesus, right? We'll get to that in a second. But he said, James says, listen, you're sinful. And your desires tempt you. Don't blame Satan. Don't blame God. You have desires in you. You have this temptation that's promising you something. It's promising you satisfaction. And you're like, I want it. I want it. And I want it. And James says, here's what happens is you want it. And then we're dragged away by it. We want it. Then we're dragged away by it. James says, it's your own desires 
that drag you away and entice you. And, and that, that kind of phrase and that term is a fishing term. And I'm not great at fishing, but in, in fishing, you use bait and a lure, right? Uh, correct, right? And it's not like you're fishing one day and like you, you just throw a hook in the water and like a fish is like, oh, that hook looks nice and shiny. Why don't I swim up to it, bite it so I can get hooked in my mouth? Some person can reel me up on my, their boat. They can look at me. If they want to keep me, they'll keep me and eat me. Or if they don't want me, they'll chuck me back in the water. That's not how that works, is it, right? I don't fish, but I don't think that's how it works. You got to use some bait or some lure, and it's got to look pretty good. It's got to it's got to trick the fish. It's got to kind of be you know part of the environment or part of something they, they may want to bite, right? So that you got they use like worms or different lures, and they use bait, and it becomes really really enticing to the fish, right? And, and the fish sees it, and they're dragged away by that desire, and they go bite the hook. That's kind of what happens, right? Here's what James is saying. He says, "Listen, Satan thinks you're a fish." He's just like a fish. He's like, he knows you're smart enough just not to give into it right away. He's like, so he's got to package it real good. He's going he's gonna to make it look real pretty. He's going to bait you with it a little bit. And, and he's going to package it in such a way. And it's going to look so good. It's going to look satisfying. It's going to look like it's going to make you happy. And you're going to see it. Just like that fish sees the bait, and you're going to start to imagine, well, if I give in to this, it's going to be so good. If I give in to this, my life's going to be so good. I'm going to be so happy. I'm going to feel good, right? And it's all, all our own desires, and the desires, it could be addiction, it could be sexual sin, it could be whatever, right? Whatever's tempting us, and Satan's going to package it. And, and all of a sudden, sin is a bait packaged like temptation. And you look at it, and you imagine it, and that's, that's just okay. It's not a sin to be tempted, right? Jesus was tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted, but just like that fish who sees that bait, it's disguised, right? And it looks enticing. And so that, that, that bait that Satan throws out, it looks enticing. It looks promising. He's like, that's when you have a choice right there. And you got to understand, it's your desires. You got to understand your weakness. It's your desire that's going to pull you away. It's either going to drag you to it or you can swim away. But it's on you. Nobody else. It's on you. But what happens as we fall for the bait, and we give the end to the temptation, right? Just like the fish, bites the hook, bites the bait, bites the lure, and, and, and the fisherman catches, reels it up, doesn't happen to me often, but it happens, right? We fall for the bait, and we give in the temptation. Then what happens? Well, then this is where it gets real tricky. Verse 15, he says this. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown gives what? Birth to death. It says, you give into it, and it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, what does it say? Repeat after me. It, it gives birth to, gives birth to, gives birth to death. All right, all of a sudden it got real serious in here, didn't it? All of a sudden, James, like, we're, we're talking about fish here, and now we're talking about death. And it seems a little dramatic. Some people think, it seems a little dramatic. Death, does it really bring death? It seems like, absolutely. You see, sin has no good qualities. And we're like, well, sin's not that big of a deal. But sin, if you think about why is there evil, destruction, and death in the world? Sin. So sin brings spiritual death. It brings death to your relationships. It brings death to your friendships. It brings death to your home. It brings death to your relationship with your kids. It brings death to every single area of our life. Sin brings nothing but death. And you may not see the consequence right away, but sin is the reason for all death. Sin is the reason for all evil. Sin is a, it just brings death, right? He's like, it's a big deal. 
But we're so tempted, and because of how culture lives now, we're so tempted to think sin's not this big of a deal. Verse 16, James says, do not be deceived, brothers and sisters. Don't, don't be deceived. Sin's a big deal. And it's not worth the cost. You see, if, if I could tell anybody a thing about sin, is we don't talk about sin because we're so judgmental. We don't talk about sin because we want to make you feel bad. We don't talk about sin because we think you're a bad person. That's not why we talk about sin. We talk about sin because sin brings death. And we believe every single one of us are broken and fallen. And without Jesus, we believe we're all on the path that sin leads us to, death. And it can destroy, and giving into the wrong sins, the wrong temptations can destroy your marriages. I do marriage counseling where it destroys marriages, destroying relationships, destroy your career. You see, Satan's strategy to convince us that in the pursuit of our evil desires somehow will produce life and goodness. Satan says, like, listen, when you take this, when you bite my bait, when you take this lure, when, you, when you're enticed away by it, if you give in to what I'm throwing to you, if you, if you buy what I'm selling, it's going to produce life and goodness. But it only brings destruction. Satan's like, listen, he's the best used car salesman of all time. If you're a used car salesman, no offense, right? But here's what he says. Buy what I'm selling. Because it's going to give you something awesome. Your life is going to be good. Your life is going to be complete. But it's only going to bring destruction. And I, I think James would tell you and he would tell me that a moment of instant gratification is not worth the cost of sin. Giving into the wrong temptation, it's, it's not worth your marriage. It's not worth the relationship with your kids, is it? It's not worth your career. It's not worth death. It's not worth anything. It's not worth giving the temptations and distancing yourself from God because every time we sin, it pushes you further and further from God. It's like it's not worth it. It's like it brings death. So let's go kind of review real quick. James has been talking to us about this um, pattern uh, of temptation or the process. So if you're taking notes, if, if you, this is really important to remember. So if you, if you have the app, it's in the app. But here's how this goes. First, we're tempted by personal desires. Then we're dragged away and enticed by it. We give in to temptation and we sin, and sin, sin brings death. So this is the process. Tempted, all right? Okay, we all start there. Once we, if you give it, if you, then you're dragged away and enticed. So you're enticed, so you got the moment. You're, you're still in the decision phase here, right? And then step three, you give in to temptation that gives birth to sin, and sin brings death. And if, if, if what James is saying basically is if you don't kill temptation, it will kill you. One way or another. So what we have to do is, is what can we do? And I want to give you one way as we run out of time, as we're getting closer to time. One way today that you can start killing temptation so it doesn't have to kill you. Here's the one way. Submit to God and not your desires. Submit to God and not your desires. Every single one of us, we talk about this, we're tempted. And, and again, it, it's personal. Temptation is so different. It, you, I can't say, hey, this tempts you and that tempts you. It may not be, right? And my temptations are different than yours. But every single one of us are tempted. 
And, and so if we, if we come to this realization, we're all tempted. Everyone in the world throughout history of time has been tempted. There are going to be tempted and temptation is going to continue to come. Here's what's different. Our faith determines how we handle temptation. Our faith should determine that we handle temptation different than the world around us. That we're not perfect and we're still going to sin, but we should start getting better at handling temptation. As the Spirit gets in us and God continues to sanctify us, we should get better at handling temptation. We should, the same thing should not continue to trip us up over and over and over again. All right, so we got to submit to God and not our desires. But we have to remember that every temptation is an invitation. With every temptation, there's a choice. And I've heard this way, that every temptation is an invitation to depend on Christ. Every time you're tempted, every time you see that bait, every time you're enticed, there's a choice to be made. Right? There's a choice. Every single time, every temptation, do I, I do what I want to do to feel good and to be satisfied? Or do I do what God wants me to do? Am I continuing to be obedient? But every, every temptation is an invitation to depend on Christ. Do I depend on what I want or do I depend on the strength of Christ in me to get me through this? It's an invitation and you can decide how, which way you go. Every temptation is an invitation. But we have to understand that overcoming temptation starts with submitting to God and not my desires. Well, what, what does that mean? Well, what does submitting to God look like? Again, it's different. For some of us, submitting to God right now starts by saying, you know what? The way I'm living and the things I'm doing, I know I shouldn't be doing. But I keep doing anyways. So it's admitting, hey, I am so far off track. I, I claim to be a believer. I claim to follow Jesus. But when people look at me, they don't see that my faith changes the way I believe. So that's submitting. For other people, it starts by saying, God, I don't know if I can do this alone. I don't know if I can get over this. God, I need to submit to your strength because by my strength, I keep giving into this over and over and over again. For some people, it's having an accountability partner. You need someone to come and kick you in the rear and say, man, get it together. Right? For some people, they need that. For other people, it's submitting is, and what I have to do is submitting is a, a daily thing. I know my mind. I know if I see something shiny, my mind wants to go do it right away. Right? I know I'm easily enticed. So something I do every single day, some, one, of the, one of the principles I do every day, whether I'm driving to the car to the gym or it's the first thing I do when I get to the office, I do it very early in the morning every, t every single day. As I pray something like this, God, I know on my own I will fail. I know if I'm left to my own desires, I will give in to it. I need your strength, God, and I'm submitting to you in your ways. I pray something like that every single day. So for some of us, that's what it looks like. And what, what, what's... We need to remember is that when, I, when I'm submitted to God, or this will help you, when I'm submitted to God, it's easy to resist temptation. When I'm not submitted to God, it's harder to resist temptation. When, I, when I'm doing my own thing, living my own way, it, it's hard to overcome temptation. But when I'm submitted to God, it's much easier. So we got to decide. Am I going to rely on that substance? Am I going to rely on that sexual need? Am I going to rely on that desire to bring some completion or satisfaction in my life? Or am I going to rely on God? James kind of continues this section and he ends with this. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good gift, good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of, light, of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. So he's like, listen, 
Temptation doesn't come from God. Good things come from God, right? And he doesn't change. And then he says, verse 18, he chooses to give us birth through the word of truth that we may be a kind of first fruits of all he created. He's saying, listen, you have a new birth. God is offering you a new way of living. And that new way doesn't have to involve you continually give it into your desires. And I want to end the day, this section, with this idea that Christ in you is stronger than the wrong desire in you. Christ in you is, wrong, is stronger than the wrong desire in you. You're going to be weak. You, to the flesh, we're weak, right? We're, we're going to give in to the wrong desires left to our own. We're weak. But Christ isn't. And every temptation is an invitation to depend on Christ. Every temptation is an invitation. Am I going to trust God? Am I going to trust that God's strength will get me through this temptation? Am I going to trust what Paul says that when every time I'm tempted, there's a way out? And that way out's through Jesus. And we can be set free because of the grace that Jesus offers us. Christ in you, Christ in me, is stronger than the wrong desire in us. So that's what James starts off this chapter with. The next week as we get rolling again, you're going to see he's going to jump right into it. And he's going to say, okay, listen, now it's time to get real. Now it's time to start living out your faith. But Christ in you. Is stronger than the wrong desire in you. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful that you sent us Jesus. It says in Hebrews that he empathizes with us, that, that he knows what we go through. And we know in Jesus' life he was tempted. And he was tempted as every way we are, yet he, was over, he overcame temptation and never sinned, Father. He is the perfection that, that, for the Savior we needed, Father. And I pray that we look to him and we depend on his strength. Father, and that we see these temptations as an invitation to depend on Jesus and become more and more like him, God. So today I I, want to open an invitation for anyone for the first time to to take that invitation, maybe to be baptized, to to make Jesus the Lord and the Savior of their life. Father, and and I I just want to open that up. And you can meet us, if that's someone, they can meet us in the doors they came in through, God. But we love you because you loved us first. In your name we pray, amen been great hanging out with you guys today. I hope that message challenges you and encourages you today. We would love to have you on campus sometime at one of our services at 8.30 or 10.45 on Sunday. Or to find out more information about RSEC, you can always go to the RSEC Family app or follow us on any social media platform at RSEC Family. Most of all, remember, you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says you matter. Now go and be blessed.